We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Amen. Cool. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Daniel. And one person said, you can't teach the book of Daniel on a Sunday morning. That's an Old Testament book. <laughs> but the Bible, it's, it's all inspired by God, right? And it's all profitable. And uh, not only that, the book of Daniel is amazing. It's amazing. It's been said the book of Daniel is the key to prophecy. So if you know the book of Daniel, you're going to have an insight into prophecy. You know, one of the things that's important for us to understand is that 25% of the Bible is prophetic. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but that's amazing to me, you know, how God says, I'll tell you the end from the beginning. There's no one like me. And that's true. I mean, you read the the Quran, there, there's no prophecy in there. You read uh, the Book of Mormon, there's no prophecy in there. You read the Vishnas, there's no prophecy in there. You read the so-called holy books of the great religions of the world, there's no prophecy in there because their God is not God. Our God is the only God and He can tell us the end from the beginning. And that's what He does in the book of Daniel. And a greater understanding of it is going to benefit us uh, tremendously because when you get excited about prophecy, when you see the things going on in Russia, you know, we got to pray for, for them, of course, you know, and Ukraine and, you know, Iran and China and Israel and all those things, you know, it, it means nothing to you if you don't really know prophecy. But when you begin to know prophecy and you realize that all these countries are part of God's scheme in the last of the last days, then it just, it, it just lights a fire in your walk and you realize that we're living on borrowed time. Jesus can come at any moment now and we need to be ready. You know, Daniel, of course, we know he's the author of this book. Um, he writes in the first person. If you go over real quick to chapter 12, In verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, he says, I, Daniel, looked. And so he writes in the first person. Uh, his name is found in the book 65 times. Uh, his name, Daniel, it means God is my judge. And he was a young man. Uh, he was probably about 15, 16 years old. That's pretty young, huh? I mean, if you think about it, um, he was a man with noble blood, and we're going to see exiled from Judah during the time of King Jehoiakim. And then he lived in the Babylonian court, and then after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, he served the Medo-Persian Empire that succeeded it. As far as the time frame, uh, we believe uh, he was taken away in 605 B.C. Uh, all the way to approximately 522 B.C. we see the time frame of the book. And the reason we're able to date it is because of the reigns of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, there in Babylon, and Cyrus in Persia. A couple of interesting facts that um, I, I thought I'd mention. Most of you probably know that, that the Old Testament was written uh, in Hebrew, but here and there, you'll come across portions with different languages as well. For example, 
in this book, you're going to find a pretty good chunk of Aramaic. Uh, you're going to see it from Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Uh, you'll even find uh, three Greek words in this book. Uh, I think it's also interesting and helpful to know that the book is not laid out in chronological order. And so you're going to see that as we go through chapters 1 through 4, uh, then chronologically you'd have to jump over to 7 and 8, then back to 5, then over to 9, then 6, and then 10 to 12. And so, um, you know, the, the thing is, written in Aramaic partially because in that time frame, uh, Aramaic was kind of like English is today. You know, to go to Cambodia, you're going to find a lot of English-speaking people because in one sense, that's the big language of the world. Aramaic was that back then, and Daniel, as a statesman, wrote some of the book in Aramaic. And part of the reason it's not chronological is because what you're going to find in chapters 1 through 6 is it's, it's real personal. It's uh, um, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, their purity and their walk and their character it's primarily just that message of purity and humility. We're going to see that in chapter 4. But then when you get to chapter 7 to the end of the book, it's primarily prophecy. And so that's why it's not chronological, because they kind of sliced it up that way the Holy Spirit did. And we're going to have a real strong message of purity. Uh, Daniel and his friends did not allow the world to squeeze them into their mold. We're going to see as we go through this book, especially in the first six chapters, you know, Daniel would be in Babylon. Now, some say it's hard to serve the Lord in such settings, right? But it's not. It's not. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can serve the Lord anywhere if you're not carnal. But if you're committed to the Lord, you can be like a Daniel in Babylon. You can be like a Joseph in Egypt. You can be like a Paul in Corinth or Athens or Rome or even in prison. You can serve the Lord. We can, there are no excuses. Well, this is where I live and this is... No, you can be sold out wherever you are sent. You can be faithful in the midst of perversity. Daniel's going to be a message for us in that. We can be pure. It's a message of purity. It's also a message of providence. And we're going to see that here. You know, God's providence, his sovereignty over the nations of the world. Uh, look over at Daniel 4, if you would. Look at verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times you shall pass over you until you know. Here's what you got to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And gives it to whomever he chooses. You're like, what's that guy Putin doing in Russia, right? What's he doing over there, man? What's that guy Obama doing in America? Hosan Rouhani in Iran or Kim Jong-un in North Korea. You know, Perez, the president of Israel or Netanyahu, the prime minister. Who are these guys? God's on the throne. See, maybe he didn't author that, but he allowed that because in his providence, he has a plan. We don't have to freak out. We trust the Lord that he's doing the work that he wants to do. 
We're going to see in Daniel, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the revived Roman Empire, and then eventually all these empires conquered by Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's important for us to know that, especially here in our country. I read this story. It said, from May to September 1787, the American Constitutional Convention met in Philadelphia to develop a system of government for the new nation. By June 28th, progress had been so slow that Benjamin Franklin stood and addressed George Washington, president of the convention. Among other things, he said, this is what Benjamin Franklin said, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And we got to see that, you guys. We have to see that in the world that we live in. Genesis 18.25 says that God is the judge of all the earth. All the earth. In 2 Kings 19.15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. All of them. We got to know that. We're going to see that in Daniel. It's really cool. There's a neat song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's called Yours. I encourage you guys to go home and download it from iTunes if you don't already have it. But he talks about, you know, just traveling the world and his heart going out to the people and the streets of London, the dirt roads of Uganda, the sidewalks of Singapore. And then he goes on and he says, but then I realized, Lord, every man, woman, boy and girl, this is our father's world. You're the maker, keeper, father and ruler of everyone and everything. And we're going to see that as we go through Daniel. We're going to see the purity, strong message for us. We're going to see providence, probably the thematic message of Daniel, and then we're going to see prophecy. As I mentioned earlier, some theologians call the book of Daniel the key to prophecy. And so here's the thing, you guys. We're going to study it. It may take us 12 weeks, okay? Maybe longer. You know how I am sometimes, right? Um, But for the next three months, It's not a big portion of your life, but it's three months. Dive into the book. You know, what you get from me is just going to scratch the surface. You start reading it, and you start meditating on it. You check out the cross-references. You listen to Pastor Chuck. I mean, you just, you dive into this book, and you get to know this book. And God will change your life. Some of you here, you're struggling in your walk, in your marriage, as a husband or a wife. Maybe as a parent or as a child, maybe you're having problems at work. I don't know what's going on in your life. You know, there's no fire, there's no desire. Get into the book, get into the Word, ask God to teach you. The Bible says that when you have prophecy, when you have this hope, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. The Bible says that Jesus is the key to all prophecy. And so, It's so cool to study this with you on a Sunday morning. Prophecy is so important. And what we're going to see, and I I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, you know, maybe the real reason God showed Daniel so much, we're going to see later just how beloved he was, is because of the fact that he loved God so much. And I think that, you know, you see that in his walk. You see that in his commitment. And I, and I, I was thinking this. You know, maybe the real reason the Sovereign God showed Daniel so much about the future prophecy was because of his purity, and maybe 
the same will be or can be true about us. Not necessarily that we're going to write prophecy, but we're going to understand prophecy, maybe, if we live a life of purity. The thing is, we have to dare to be different. Look at verse 1. It says, in the, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He surrounded it. And the Lord gave. Interesting, it was the Lord. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And so this is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. We know that to be 605 B.C. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. You know, we read in 2 Kings 23, uh, 36, uh, that Jehoiakim was 25 years old. And in his days, king of Babylon came up and the Lord sent the Chaldeans against him, and they destroyed Judah. It was all according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Warren Wiersbe said this, For decades the prophets had warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry, immorality, and injustice toward the poor and needy would lead to the nation's ruin. The prophets saw the day coming when God would bring the Babylonian army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take the people captive to Babylon. A century before the fall of Jerusalem, the prophet Isaiah had proclaimed this message in Isaiah 39. And Micah, his contemporary, shared the burden in Micah chapter 4, verse 10. If you read Habakkuk, even he couldn't understand how God would bring the godless Babylonians to chasten his own people in Habakkuk chapter 1. And Jeremiah lived to see these prophecies that he had spoken come to pass. And you read that throughout his whole book. See, the judgment of Babylon and the people of God being carried away into captivity was actually a fulfillment of God's promise to judge his people in Leviticus 26.33 and Leviticus 26.39. If you read 2 Kings chapter 20 and Isaiah 39, the same thing. Remember when Hezekiah had his life extended the Babylonians sent some envoys, and, and you know Hezekiah showed them all the treasures of the kingdom. And then Isaiah came to him and said, hey, what did you show these guys? And he said, I showed them everything. And then Isaiah said, everything you showed them, they're going to take away. Because God's going to judge this nation because of her sin. And you know, unless America repents, I don't have to hear like some personal message from God. He will judge this nation. You know, one of the things we find when we read the Bible is that God judges every nation on earth. Every nation on earth, not every person. Some people, they're not going to get judged until they die and go to hell. But every nation will be judged. Our country, unless it repents, it will be judged. And that's what the prophets were telling Judah. They were telling Judah, hey, God's going to judge you. And then God got more specific. God's going to bring the Babylonians, even before they were a great empire. And sure enough, a hundred years later, boom, verse 2, the Lord gave them into their hands. It's amazing. You know, we'll see right here, look, it says in verse 2 that he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure 
house of his God. And some of the articles of the temple there, remember the, the golden cups and all those types of things? We're going to see later in Daniel chapter 5 that um, the leader of, of uh, um, the nation, he's drinking and you know worshiping his gods, and then God sends a hand with the writing on the wall. But these are the things that were carried away. And it was much more than golden vessels. They also carried away human vessels. Because look what you read in verse 3. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. And so they not only take the vessels and articles of gold from the temple, they also take the best of the young men, you know. And so imagine that. They call the young men together, you know, they look at them, you know, what's your lineage, your royal blood? They tested them, the highest scores on the SAT, you know, whatever. They got the brightest young guys, and what they did is they carried them away. These young men were superior in every way, the brightest and the best. But here's the thing. The king of Babylon thought he was going to get them for his ministry. But see, God was getting them for his ministry. It appears that Daniel and his three friends were taken in 605 when they were probably about 15 or 16 years old. Think about that for a second, you guys. For those of you who are parents, imagine your 15-year-old being taken away. Imagine your 16-year-old being taken away from you. What a heart-wrenching experience it must have been. You know, take the silver, that's fine. The gold, that's okay. But not my son. You know, my handsome, intelligent, noble, gifted child who has this amazing future ahead of him here in the States, stripped away from my hands and carried away to a foreign land, you know, hundreds of miles away. You know, when you look at that from a human perspective in the here and now, there's no way to know how to accept this. It's just, you just can't. The tragedy, the calamity, infinitely beyond our capacity to understand. But there's no doubt in my mind and heart that if the parents of these four Hebrew children were able to see things from God's perspective and how the Lord would use them there and then, and even to the here and now, all of this for the glory of God and the good of his people, then the parents would praise God for his glorious plan. And I want to encourage you parents to know that. I know you love your kids, but God loves them more than you. And I know you have plans for your kids, but so does God. You know, sometimes we see things we don't understand, and here we see something we don't understand, but in then, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Daniel and his friends were carried away to the king's palace in order to undergo three years of training to eventually serve in the presence of the king. We see here a training which included the language and literature of the Chaldeans, and a lot, lot more than that. The young men were given what we would call a secular education, steeped in the superstitions of the society in every way. You know, and at first glance we'd say, I don't want any of that. But you see, God has a plan. 
what we find is the Lord was training them to do his work. They were to be, in one sense, Babylonianized. We would never want that, huh? You know, it's kind of like Moses. You remember Moses, the Bible says, was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. You're like, man, I would not want that. But you see, God had a plan. They were to be Babylonianized, and this would, of course, consist of a lot of things, um, including the king's delicacies, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. In verse 6, we read of the name of the young men that will have focus here in the book. Look at verse 6. Now, from among these of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so these were like solid, you know, Hebrew kids. You know, like if you have your child and you're like, okay, I'm going to name them, you know, a biblical name or a name of the Lord, you know. They, I mean, they just really good spiritual heritage. Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, God has favored or the Lord shows grace. Mishael, who is like God? Azariah, Jehovah has helped. The Lord is my help. I mean, these are just great Hebrew names, right? But to them, it says in verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. And he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And so Daniel, his name meant God is my judge, is changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. Bel is a pagan god. Hananiah, you know, his name means God is favored. Now his name is changed to the command of Aku. That's the moon god. You know, Mishael, his name means who is like God, is now is Meshach, and that means who is as Aku, again, a pagan god. And Azariah, his name means Jehovah has helped, is now Abednego, that means servant of Nebo or Nego. That's a pagan god. They, they tried to paganize them, to Babylonianize them. But they only were able to do so from a superficial perspective. You know, in one sense, it's the agenda of the enemy, and he's not going to stop trying. He's not going to stop trying, right? But it doesn't mean that we have to succumb to such things. The purpose of the course was to transform Jews into Babylonians, and this meant not only a new land, but also a new name, new customs, new ideas, a new language. For three years, the Babylonian teachers would attempt to brainwash the four Jewish young men and teach them how to think and live like Babylonians. But you see, we learn from Daniel, even though that's the, the, just the, the, the bombardment of Babylon, I mean, the, the agenda of the adversary, the, the, just the Niagara Falls of the way that he wants to just really, you know, just kill us with his concept in this world. Look, look at what we read. It says in verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. He purposed in his heart. And so we're living in this world, and man, they want to Babylonianize us big time, man. What, do we, what can we do? Our only hope, not just turn off the, tel- oh, I don't have cable TV. Do you think that's all it takes? <laughs> it's it's going to take something a lot deeper than you not having cable television or watching R-rated movies. 
well, I don't go to the bar anymore. Cool, that's fine. You know, that's between you and the Lord. That's great. It's going to take a lot more. It's going to be... It's going to require something a lot deeper than that. You must, we must purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves. Because all the other stuff, to be honest with you, it's superficial. Daniel learned everything. He learned everything. He probably watched all the programs. He probably read all their books. But he was still right on because he had purposed in his heart not to defile himself. You see? And that's where we need to be. This is what we call living life on purpose, right? This is the heart of the book. It's the heart of Daniel. Daniel purposed. Where? He purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself with even a portion. Notice it says a portion of the king's delicacies. You know, it would make them ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, you know, to eat certain meats or food that was offered to idols. And these delicacies, uh, to be honest with you, man, they probably cooked good, they probably looked good, they probably smelt good, they probably felt good. I mean, everything about these delicacies was appealing to our flesh big time, right? But rather than please himself, Daniel had a heart to please the Lord, and he denied himself, even while in captivity in Babylon, in the midst of a wicked world engulfed with evil, surrounded by Satan. Daniel dared to be different, and he would find a way to endure. He would make a way to stay pure. And you guys, this is where it's at. This is where it's at right here. To be defiled. Is the, is the agenda of the enemy. Somehow, some way, if I could somehow taint that person over there, if I can just get a, a foothold, if I can just creep into their life, Daniel would not allow it. And he's an example for us. He really is. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says not to be conformed to this world. And so the world's trying to st- squeeze you into their mold or... You know, John chapter 2, verse 15 says, don't love the world. James says, don't be friends with the world. Jesus said in John 17, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Some people aren't in the world. They're like in church, that's it. They have all Christian friends. They don't know anybody that's not a Christian. That's not what Jesus wants. We're supposed to be in the world. We have to be lights in the darkness. We have to be salt on the earth. Right? We've got to be in the world. But we can't have the world in us. We're not of the world. And you've heard this a million times. The boat's got to be in the water, but not the water in the boat. Daniel's a great example for us. Now, I know the logistics of this is different for all of us. For some of you here, you can't, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet to be with your old friends because you're not strong enough. The Lord will show you and he'll lead all of you individually how you're supposed to do it. But you want to try to strengthen your relationship with God so that the day can come where it doesn't matter who you're with, you will not be moved. Because God wants us to be out there in the front lines. God wants us to be, you know, 
The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail. God wants us to storm the gates of hell. God wants us to pull people out of the fire. How are we going to do that if we're just all we are is just with Christians? Some of us are, are more ready. Some of you guys are, you're like Daniel. God sends you out. You're in the front lines. Others of you, you've got to work your way to get there. God will show you. But eventually, we've got to see that's our agenda. But sometimes I see Christians who are strong enough. They are strong enough, but they're so caught up in their Christian cubbyhole. And they don't reach out. They never evangelize. They never shine. Daniel right here is such a cool example for us. God put him there. So I'm not saying necessarily put yourself there. Ask the Lord to lead you where he puts you. Make sure that you trust him. Daniel resisted. But I like that the way that he resisted. He resisted with all due respect. Um, look again at verse 8. Therefore he requested. You know, he didn't demand. He requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. You know, the eunuch is like, you guys just, you don't want to eat the meat? You know, the carne asada, the big thick steaks and all that kind of stuff, the, you know, Snickers bars and stuff like that. You don't want to eat all that? And, uh, and you just want fruits and vegetables and water? You're going to look all, all thin, and I'm going to get in trouble for that because the king, you know, he wants you kind of fattened up a little bit, right? And so Daniel said to the stewards in verse 11, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit... So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. Daniel just said, give us a chance. Give us a chance. Let our God prove himself. We're going to have vegetables and, and water. It's a Daniel diet, right? It's a good thing. And then you just compare us. And so the guy says, okay. And at the end of the ten days, verse 15, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now just in case you're thinking, oh, okay, so that's what I need to do. Okay, you know what? This was supernatural. Okay, it was supernatural. Don't get me wrong, fruits and veggies are good and water's good. You guys, you guys probably eat way too much soda and double-doubles. But this was supernatural. Everything here was the Lord doing a good work because he found somebody he could trust. He was going to prove himself, right? And so we read in verse 17, As for these young men... God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So cool, the way the Lord will honor. What does the world need? They need God. Well, how's God going to you know, give them himself? Through gifted men and women. 
supernatural Holy Spirit gifts. Not just someone who teaches, someone who has the gift of teaching. Not just someone who goes and, you know, they say Bible verses, but somebody who has the gift of evangelism. Not just somebody who, it's the gifts of God. And what happens, you guys, is when we seek the Lord and our hearts, man, they're there, then those gifts are going to be developed and discovered and deployed and God's going to do a work, you know? It can't be the work of men. What does the work of men do? Nothing. It's got to be the work of God. And so these guys right here, you know, it's just so cool the way that they did not, they would not compromise. A lot of times that we we compromise. We're like, I can justify this. You know, I'm here. I was carried away from my country. I'm, you know, hundreds of miles away in Babylon. And, you know, he's going to give me this food. And no. We could justify it. And a lot of times we justify the things that we do, that we know, the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, you know, because I don't want to get into like rules and regulations, but it's your personal relationship with God. And when the Holy Spirit tells you no, be careful of that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Him. Because He loves you. And he shows you areas sometimes which we can compromise in. And when we, when we choose not to, we choose purity. Um, we don't want to defile ourselves. Then God's going to reward you. And here we see these four young men. God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. How many times do you have a dream? You don't understand it. Maybe God will show you what your weird dreams are meaning, you know. And not only that, it's so cool how it's young men, young men, right? The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Because young men are like wild stallions. They're hard to tame, but God can tame them when God gets a hold of their heart. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, To flee those youthful lusts. Young men. Don't make excuses. Young men, serve the Lord. Old men too. And girls. (laughs) And so, God gave them skill. And God gave them gifts. And God blessed the world. Warren Worsby said, If you want to have a ministry for God, you must have divine gifts and divine help. Training and education are important, but they are not substitutes for the ability and wisdom that only God can give. And so in three months, man, it's amazing what God can do in three months, huh? I mean, these guys right here, three years, ten days, what God can do even in one day, in a monumental moment, what God can do. And so we read in verse 18, Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, or in the presence of the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, notice, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And there you are, and you know, some, I can just say this, maybe you're at your job, you know, wherever you work, and, and because of your love for God, 
your boss notices you are so different. You're so completely different. You know, you're not one of those guys demanding your rights and trying to do as little as you can to get by or whining or complaining. But you're just a right-on Christian who works so hard. And then God has his hand on your life and your boss, he sees it. This is what we see right here. The king, he, he checks, man, there's no one like these guys. And that's the way it should be for Christians. Christians should have a strong and distinctive testimony in the job that they work at. That's what Daniel had. That's what these guys had. It was so cool. And so God gave them gifts. There was no one like these four fellows. They were ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers in the realm. Right there in verse 20 where it says to examine and compare, the king not only questioned his graduates, but he compared them with one another. And this way ended up with the very best. And so Daniel served all the days of Babylon, which would include the next 64 years, and then beyond he would serve under the next administration. We're going to see Daniel was used by God in a mighty way. How many of you here want God to use your life in a mighty way? Don't you? If you don't, please leave. No, I'm just joking. If you don't, get saved right now, okay? You need Jesus, man. You know, but Daniel was uh, used by God in a mighty way. Why? Because he dared to be different. He dared to be obedient. You know, the bottom line is, we're either two of one, or one of two. We're either a conformer, you're being conformed to this world, and, and you know, just take a good look at your life. You're like the rest of the world, and you're a Christian. They can't even tell you're a Christian. And something's wrong. You're blendy, you're trendy. So you're either a conformer, or you're a transformer. You're someone that God is going to use to impact the world for good in his glory. And that's what we want to be. We want to be like Daniel. I've, you've probably heard this a million times. Which are you? Are you a thermometer? And a thermometer tells us what the temperature is. Right now you're thinking, it's kind of hot in here, huh? <laughs> you're, you're either a thermometer or you're a thermostat. And what do thermostats do? They change the temperature, right? And that's what we need to be. We either reflect the ways of this world or we reject the ways of this world. What we're going to find as we go through this test right here, and part of the reason I think the Lord reveals this in chapter 1, is because this was kind of like a private test. It was a private victory. And the private tests and victories in your life, those things that really no one else can see, they will lead eventually to the public tests and the public victories. And you're going to see, like Jabez prayed, God will enlarge your territory when you're faithful to him. You know, it's interesting. One of the first things, and we're going to see as we go through this amazing book, you guys, we just got into it, but, you know, eventually the, 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 the leader, the king Cyrus, he allows the Jews to go back to the land. And, you know, scholars tell us, theologians tell us that the reason the Jewish people were set free was in large part because of Daniel. One man, sold out and surrendered, completely committed, changed the destiny of a whole nation. One man, completely committed, sold out and surrendered, changed the destiny of the people. 
of God. That can be us if we long for that. Praise God that you guys know the Lord and I pray that you would walk with him. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word and I'm so excited about gleaning from the book of Daniel. Lord, I pray you work in my life and my brothers and sisters' lives here. Lord, encourage them in all the things they're going through, Father, in their marriages, in their homes, their families, their finances, their bodies, Lord, the physical struggles, the spiritual struggles. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.